Strong Enough merch is now available. Go to strongenoughpod.com and see all the things that you can get to show your strong enough pride, as well as remind people and yourself that you are strong enough and you are worth it. Welcome to the Strong Enough Podcast, where we talk about the challenges and celebrate the triumphs of people just like you. I'm your host, Claudia. Today's guest is going to talk about her own experience with domestic violence. She's going to share what it took for her to get to a healthy space and why it's so important for her to now help others do the same. Please help me welcome Sam Biafor. Sam, how are you doing this morning? I'm so well. How are you? I am well also. Uh, I know it's it won't be when people listen to this, but it is Friday and I'm excited about that. And I am excited to chat with you today. Same here. Well, to start our chat, I would love it if you would tell the audience a little about yourself. Sure. Um, well, again, my name is Sam. I am uh, a domestic violence survivor and advocate. And I know you and I connected um, because of that. But I'm here really to share my story and to share a little bit about you know, what I'm doing to help other domestic violence survivors and victims that are going through um, at the moment. But just you know, excited to be able to really share what's coming up for me um, and how I can go about helping. Um, you know, maybe a little bit uh, as far as my my course that I'm creating that will help you to really be able to center yourself um, and learn how to how to meditate and get out of those that headspace and and those thoughts and fears. Meditating is so difficult for me. Do you right. find that's true for a lot of people, or am I just the weirdo in the room? No, you know what? When I started meditating, it was so hard for me, and I think it's because I have that get up and go personality. I really like to be on the move, so sitting still is just—it's re- even to this day, it is very difficult. I have to get into that headspace, and it's—it doesn't always come naturally to me. I have to really practice at it. So you're—you're you're definitely not the weirdo in the room. For sure. You know, still to this day, years later, it it can be a difficult task for me. But I also know how I feel on the other end. I know that I feel relaxed and calm and centered. And I know what is meant for me in that moment, right? What I asked for during that meditation. I love that. So I will, you know, I will reluctantly get back into it. (laughs) I I will continue to try. Even just a couple of minutes, you know, it it really can help and just start small. That I can do. That I can do. (laughs) Well, I would love to back up a little bit and talk, you know, a little bit about your personal story. What was it for you the moment that you knew that you were not in a safe space in your relationship? Well, I think if I'm being honest, I knew really early on, right? But, you know, I was young at the time um, when I started in, you know, this relationship, I was 25. And I'm a big believer that 25 and under, we are not fully developed. And we do not know fully how to listen to our gut. Um, So I think for me, I was just I was looking for someone who I thought could give it all to me, right. And being, you know, a lot of times in a domestic violence relationship, the other person has narcissistic behaviors, right? So there was a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of aside. So when we met, 
It was so charming and it was amazing. And it all sounded so wonderful. And then once he realized that he had me hooked in, everything started to change. And I thought, well, I can change him. You know, I'm young. I'm everything that he's claimed he wanted. You know, I can do this. And I refused to listen to all the people that had come forward and said, hey, listen, here's my story. You know, here's what happened. And I didn't listen. I thought I could change. Um, We got married very quickly. And then I ended up pregnant with my daughter. And I figured again, oh, a baby's going to change him. And of course it doesn't, right? So it's something that I had to learn really quickly, how I was going to be able to manage my emotions um, and protect myself in, you know, fight or flight mode constantly, you know, going back to your question, I I knew really early on, but when I actually wanted to accept it, it was years and years later. You know, I find it very common and I don't ever like to stereotype, but women in particular really believe that we can change the other person and we go in as the savior and think that we can just turn it around. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that we do that? You know, I I think a lot of us have trauma from many, many ancestors ago, right? I'm a big believer that we carry on um, traditionally, right? From not only just our grandparents, but way, way back. And so I think that there's a long history of abuse in some way, shape, or form, at least within my own family, it may not necessarily be the typical domestic violence, what people think about, but when you think about our grandparents and, you know, great-grandparents and and going way, way back, abuse was so common, right? We didn't know any better. Now we have the tools and the resources. And I think for me, I'm a very empathetic person. I take on what other people, you know, give out. So I have to make sure that I'm paying attention to who's in the room now, knowing what I know, but, you know, going back to being 25 and and young, um, I I think I was very empathetic and I took on what he, you know, quote unquote needed. And so it was easy for me to kind of fall into that trap. And I think as women were, we're built and born to, take on the needs of what our family or our partner needs, right? So it's just easier to fall into that trap if you don't have the tools and the knowledge to know, okay, this isn't right, right? This feeling isn't right. You said you you, you saw the signs early on, mm-hmm. but you continued because of kind of what we just talked about. So yeah. What was the moment for you when you said, I can't, this is enough? And I've got to do something different. Yeah, I think, you know, my, I, I, well, first and foremost, I was in a relationship for, it wasn't that long that I was there when I left the first time. Statistics will say that, you know, someone um, of a domestic violence victim will leave on average about seven times. I can't count the amount of times that I left. I know that it wasn't seven But I moved out twice. I also, you know, I obviously moved back in. Um, A lot of it was financial reasons, right? And that's part of how they keep you is making sure that you don't have the money that you need or the job that you need to be able to move on. I think the the breaking point for me was he had other children. 
as other children. Um, and there were a lot of issues with, you know, the other children. And I knew that I was in a never ending battle when I tried to stand up for myself and my daughter and our household and just behaviors were allowed from the other children that were unsafe for us, you know, that involved the police. And I I learned in that instance, the police were actually called on me and in trying to protect myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and our, you know, two, three-year-old daughter, I fled the scene, right? Nothing actually happened besides yelling, but fleeing the cop at the time said that because he couldn't get my statement, he believed the other side. So I went to jail. Well, how many times can I go through that? You know, at some standpoint, that was the second time that I I had to turn myself in. And it's not because of, you know, wanting to hurt someone, it's to protect yourself. And so, you know, when you cannot trust even the police, because someone has to be taken in, that's when it says, okay, I'm out. You know, I can't live on a day by day moment of saying, at any moment, the police can be called. And I might lose my job because I'm hauled off the jail, or now I'm going to have a record when it shouldn't be that way. So it was that turning point that said, okay, we're, we're done. We're out. I have to figure this out. And I, I have to get out. You know, I understand as a former police officer, kind of why the laws in a lot of states are the way they are and say that mm-hmm. somebody has to go to jail if there's yep. certain criteria that are met. But we do see quite often that the true victim is the one Mm -hmm. or both, you know, end up going to jail. And so that just further traumatizes the victim and makes them fearful of involving the police. So what were you able to do after that to kind of say, no, I got this. I don't need the police. I can just move forward on my own. Well, you know, I I don't know if it's necessarily something that just clicked. I think I just realized the pattern of how this was going to work, that calling the police wasn't going to make it better for me. It made it worse because even if I wasn't taken away or, you know, even if they made him leave, it made him more angry and it would make the situation worse once he came back home. So, you know, I had to figure out how I was going to make enough money And I was going to be able to safely exit and, you know, and get out. And again, you know, going back to what you said about, you know, traumatizing the victim wasn't even about traumatizing me, right? Yes, of course I was traumatized, but even my daughter, right? Having the police come was really scary and worse. If I was taken away, you know, then she's left crying and watching me being hauled away. And even at two or three years old, she has such vivid memories of some of the things that have happened to me. So, you know, it's, it was making sure that that didn't happen again. I would love for you to talk a little bit about safely exiting because you, mm-hmm. you put that word in there. And I think that is yeah. so important that victims have an exit plan, but it has to be a safe exit plan. And especially when you have children involved. So will you talk a little bit about the steps that you took to ensure that you could safely exit the situation? 
Yeah, I think, you know, this is, it's a hard topic because every state and everyone has different resources, right? At the time I was living in Delaware, um, shelters weren't an option for me because I had dogs and they were my safe space, right? So I wasn't willing to leave them behind because I knew that out of anger and out of that narcissistic personality, the dogs would have been let go on the street or they would have been given to a shelter themselves. So, you know, I had to figure out how I was going to exit, um, which meant saving enough money and being able to obtain an apartment by myself. So I think, you know, exiting safely is is hard. Um, there are, like in Florida, I have a wonderful shelter that's very close to us in Naples. And they help, you know, so many women and children. And they have so many resources that actually, you know, women can utilize. Again, for me, I had to make sure that I had enough money kind of squirreled away, got an apartment. And then, you know, one day when he was working, I packed up a truck and I was out. I think the most common thing that I hear when people and, you know, survivors and victims reach out to me that say, hey, here's what I'm going through. Can you help me? Most of the time when victims are coming up with a plan, the plan seems great in that moment. And then that cycle of abuse just turns around, right? And their abuser says, oh, no, no, no. You know, I love you. I'm going to change. So that plan just goes poof right out the window because now they don't need a plan anymore until that cycle starts again. They also feel that they should tell their abuser, oh, I'm thinking of leaving. You know, you have to change. Well, that doesn't work because it makes them more angry. At least in my experience, it made him so much more angry, threats, or my stuff was thrown out. And again, was, you know, calling the cops, the whole situation just escalated. So, you know, again, exiting safely, you need to be able to lean on the people that you do trust. If you have family or friends that can help. The hardest part for me was once I was out, staying away, not letting those words of, oh, I'll change. You know, you can come back. I'm so sorry. Not allowing that cycle to perpetuate again because you can, you know, you're in such a fragile state, you can believe anything that they're going to say to you. And that's how we start that cycle of, you know, exiting and coming back and, and continuing on. So, um, you know, I encourage people to really look into the resources that they have to be able to get out safely. Um, you know, and again, lean on on resources like myself or, or like family and friends shelters, because you it's not easy to do it alone. So true. I want to, I want to highlight a point that you made because I, uh, love my dog very, very much. I would not go anywhere without him either. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a pretty high percentage of victims who don't leave or mm -hmm. stay longer than they should because they have nowhere to go with yep. their pet. Uh, and they yep. do fear the pet being harmed or something like what you talked about. So I just want to say there are a lot of states uh, that have shelters that mm -hmm. are pet friendly. Uh, yep. And then some animal shelters will take pets temporarily um, for free. So yeah. we're getting there when it comes to pets um, because it is that safe space a lot of times and, and a victim just can't walk away from that um, it's yeah. almost like a child for some people. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you're in that situation and you have a pet, 
you know, look for options because mm -hmm. a lot of places they do exist, or even like you said, family and friends, maybe somebody can't yeah. take that pet, but do what you can to not let that hinder your yep. exit if necessary. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And I, I, I completely agree. There's until I actually moved to Florida, I didn't know that there were shelters that took pets. So, you know, it is such a great and valuable resource. And um, I have one dog who's a rescue. He's older, but still to this day, he will protect me, you know, bar none. And I think that was part of not wanting to allow him to go somewhere else, right? Because that was my protection, if nothing else. He was that, that you know, safe zone. So, but you bring up such a good point, you know, do your research. I want to talk a little bit about after leaving and yeah. kind of the steps that you started to take to heal because you've, you've been through so much trauma. You'd been through extra trauma with dealing, you know, with the police and, and having to go to jail. So talk a little bit about what you started with on your path to healing. Yeah. So I, um, I was fortunate enough that when I moved away from Delaware, I moved down to Florida and it's because I worked for Peloton. They had a store opening in Naples and I raised my hand and was willing to do anything that it took to move. And, um, you know, signed a deal with the devil to be able to move down here. He allowed that to happen, you know, got the paperwork that I needed. And I was willing to move with or without my daughter in the sense that I knew eventually she would end up back with me. But I knew that was the first step in us healing. So when we were allowed to move to Naples, you know, a lot of the um, mental and emotional abuse still continued, right? It didn't stop until actually a couple of months ago. Um, and it's been almost, it's been over four years that I've lived in Florida. So just because you're divorced or just because you move away, it doesn't mean that it all stops. You still have to take measures to continue to protect yourself. When we came down here, it was such an amazing feeling to be able to move about freely and not have somebody, you know, coming over and watching if your car is in your driveway or, you know, making constant phone calls. We had so many states of separation that that alone allowed me to heal. But I think the biggest thing was, you know, believe it or not, I was in Naples for about six months and then the pandemic hit. So it was just my daughter and I, and Peloton was fantastic in allowing us even working in a store to stay home for six months and kind of oversee some of, you know, the, um, the back end duties. So for us, you know, I had to learn to meditate, right? I had to learn, and I didn't even know that that's necessarily what I was doing at first. It was more of centering myself and learning to take a few moments for me in those days. And I started to really feel and hear internally what was meant for me. And it, it just kind of evolved from there. And, um, you know, after the pandemic was not after the pandemic, but about six, seven months in, I decided that, you know, at, through meditating and, and figuring out really what was meant for me, that October of 2020, I came out with my story and I shared and I shared via LinkedIn, believe it or not. Um, and then of course, Instagram and Facebook and all that followed. But I got people from the company that, you know, reached out and said, okay, this is important. You know, your story 
it's amazing what you've been through and we're so lucky, you know, to have you here that you've made it right to this point. Um, it, it, it sparked this whole transition within my career because it allowed me to reach people in the company. And of course, people just in general in the world where sharing my story helped us to design um, time within the company for a, not a conference, but it was something during Domestic Violence Awareness Month in October, where I was able to lead conversations, right? And I was able to, you know, really put myself out there in the company and, and otherwise. Um, and, and that kind of just sparked the whole, you know, continuing to heal because I realized hearing other people's stories that I still had healing to do, right? It would trigger me. Um, during that time too, I met my now current husband and, you know, talk about total opposites, right? I mean, this is a man who is the most loving, kind, and caring person, doesn't have a bad bone in its body. And I think being able to meet someone like that and realize genuinely someone that loves and cares about me versus someone who, you know, as a narcissist only cares about themselves, it turned my whole world around. And, and through my time with my husband, we only got married uh, a year ago. But, um, you know, during that time, I'm still healing to this day. You know, I'm a big believer that I will continue to work on myself until my last dying day because I, I want to help others. And there are triggers now that I never knew I had things that come up. And I think it's because I'm in a safe space, right? I'm, I'm loved. I'm cared about. There are things that I, I never knew that you know, bothered me or maybe things that are coming up from my past. And I don't say that in a way to scare anyone. I say that in a way that I know that I'm healing because I can actually acknowledge all those fears and those triggers. I think a lot of people do make that mistake where they think, well, I'm healed. Everything's great. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm a year removed and I'm feeling good. And then yep. something happens that kind of sends them tumbling and then they mm -hmm. feel like a failure. Well, mm -hmm. gosh, I wasn't healed. And, and did I even do anything good? And what's happening here? What do you think is the best way for somebody to understand that, that it is an ongoing process and to cut themselves some slack and know that there, there maybe forever will be triggers or different things that happen that, affect you in a negative way. Yeah. I, I, you know, giving yourself some slack is, is at least for me, that was huge. Right. Because during that abusive relationship, I wasn't allowed to have any slack. Right. I, I wasn't allowed to make a mistake. It was the end of the world if something like that happened. So, you know, giving myself slack is still a learning process, not being so hard on myself learning to accept, you know, me for who I am, that I have flaws and, you know, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes and it's okay. And I think having my daughter has been the biggest, you know, and best thing for me because I have to be a role model for her. And I have to make sure that when I make a mistake, it's okay. You know, we pick ourselves up and we move on. And I say the same for her as well. Um, but yeah, it's, none of that is easy right? Of, of saying, okay, I, I have to heal. I think the 
biggest thing that has helped me is taking it day by day, right? Of taking it moment by moment. And I've learned that just because I have a bad moment or a setback, it doesn't mean that I've had a bad day. So, you know, I could have a trigger first thing in the morning. I could have a trigger late at night. It shouldn't offset my entire day. And, you know, learning to go to bed and say, okay, you know, what were three amazing things that happened to me or, you know, that, that I did today? It could be the littlest thing, right? I got to sit in silence and had my coffee. That could be something amazing for me, you know, or, you know, being able to be a part of your podcast. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you take those moments and you say, okay, you know, maybe I, I, you know, had a bad interaction with, you know, my ex-husband. Okay. We don't let that take over because I've, I've also noticed and realized some of the physical things that happen to me when I have those bad moments, right? I get really cold. I stop eating. I, you know, it, it's, it's those perpetual things that I've learned to know what those even little triggers are or things that happen to me and being able to reassess and say, okay, even if it's not meditation, even a, a you know, deep breaths of, of four counts in holding four counts out, it helps your whole regulatory system so much. And it just changes the following moments for your day, for your week, you know, moving on. I want to talk a little bit about your job, not your specific job, but (laughs) the fact that your company was so supportive of you. Mm. I know that there are now laws and I I think it's federal. I can't swear to that. Um, But employers now have to give people time um, for things related to domestic violence. So going to court or going to a therapist and, and things like that. Um, but your company went a step further, really, mm-hmm. by embracing your story and what you went through and really making that a pivotal moment for them to inform others. Yeah. How did that feel for you knowing, you know, before you shared it, that you were kind of like, well, they're either going to love it or I'm going to be jobless. Yeah. And, and getting to the point of, wow, like they really wrapped their arms around you. How impactful was that for you and for your healing process? It, I mean, to be able to be recognized, right, just in general, was such a fantastic feeling to know, okay, I, first of all, I'm not alone, right? I know that there are so many others that they may not come forward, but this moment is going to impact them. And to be able, it took, you know, quite some time to be able to get that conversation out there, but it happened, right? And it's an ongoing conversation. I think, you know, we all have a lot of work to do as far as not just making it during Domestic Violence Awareness Month. This is a conversation that should be happening when it comes to our leaders, um, when it comes to our staff, you know, and individual teams. Trauma affects us in our workplace, right? There's no way we spend so much time at work that what's going on at home, at some standpoint, you're going to bring into your job. So to be able to understand the behaviors and the why, because when I was going through in the thick of it and still involved trying to get out, if you said hello to me the wrong way, I burst into tears. Now, if you know me today, you know that I'm you know, one pretty tough bitch, but I, back then I could just, you know, I burst into flames. I mean, I I had so much tension and stress. So 
making this an ongoing conversation where it doesn't have to be heavy all the time, but to have a trauma-informed system in place and learning to understand, you know, employee retention would be better. Uh, you know, happiness and your culture would be so much better. So, you know, I, I think, yes, Peloton did a great job. And I, I do want to say, I just left Peloton in May. Um, I didn't want to, but our store had shut down. So, you know, I hope one day my goal is to be able to work with Peloton, not for them, you know, but work with them and to help build more trauma-informed systems and be able to continue to teach the importance of domestic violence. Because again, everyone thinks, you know, my thought of domestic violence when, when before I went through it was, oh, it's all physical. No, it's mental, it's emotional, it's financial, it's sexual. It's, there's so many different ways to it. And, you know, the impact and how someone, the impact of domestic violence alone on you, obviously, but, you know, within your job, you could change, you could help someone, you know, find a safe exit, right? You could help someone just be lighter and be so much, so much more aware, right, of what's going on and, and seeing the signs, even within our own jobs. And I, I think it's it's so important to be able to have those those systems in place. Talk a little bit about what you're doing now to help other people recognize those signs and create a way for them to get out of the situation and move forward in a healthy way. Yeah. So I, I, right now there's a couple of things, you know, and ways that we can help. The biggest thing that I have started to do is work with companies like Peloton where, you know, helping to add in trauma-informed systems in place to be able to help their leaders and help, you know, the, the people that are actually working for them have systems that they feel that they can talk about, you know, what's going on at home, right? I know when I led a team, there was always an open door policy that if something is going on, you can say anything and everything and vent and be there. And it's not going to affect how you are when we're actually working, right? So it's it's helping companies to build a better culture, build those trauma-informed systems and put them into place so that our employees feel that they have a safe space when they go to work. Um, that's the first and foremost thing. And I think for a business to be able to bring on someone like myself, it allows the, the victims and the survivors to have those resources at no cost to them. Right. But the employers are benefiting because they have better employee retention. They have a better culture. They see the difference in their workplace. On the flip side, if you don't have a company that's willing, you know, to maybe build in a trauma informed system, there are other resources that I have. Um, I've just built, you know, my website. My company name is Survival Takes Strength. And so you can go onto my site and there's either um, a meditation course that will really help you to understand why you're feeling the way that you are and be able to help center yourself and get you to a point of positivity. Um, and there's also other things like how I started, right? There's uh, affirmations and journals that can help in little ways and help you in the way that you feel that you need you know, to heal. 
that's how I started. I started by listening to affirmations by Louise Hay. And she, I swear she saved my life. Being able to hear the things that she said and start to believe them about myself versus what I was actually being told, it changed the whole trajectory. And it's why I stand here today versus, you know, ending my life as I thought I should have, because I didn't feel that I was worth it. In working with companies that you're dealing with now, are you getting any pushback from some of the people there that, like we talked about, think that, well, abuse is just physical. You know, if somebody's just saying bad things to you, that's no big deal. What are you seeing in the culture of the places that you're working with? Sure. So I I think, you know, it's important for me to work with certain companies, right? That has a culture that is very DEI focused, right? With diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, You have the basis there for a culture to come in with a program like this that doesn't have a great culture or that kind of stands down to people bringing anything in from their home life into work. It doesn't work, right? We have to have a foundation of you know, we have a basis of culture, a true culture, not fun sock day, you know, like real culture that's going to make a difference. So in the companies that I work with, I think, you know, yes, there's always going to be a little bit of pushback to say, well, we don't need that, you know, but that's where I come in to say, well, you do, you know, and and I can tell you being a leader myself and the experiences that I went through and also my team went through along with other teams, um, you know, giving them those resources and allowing the people that push back to have true one-on-one time or maybe smaller group sessions has been so beneficial because teaching, yes, you can teach a conference into the mass. I have a, a workshop called Leading with Clarity and it helps building effective resilience um, and strength and empowering your your staff and and the culture to be able to come forward right so i think you know build it, that workshop is fantastic for a very broad overview but building that one on one time with the people that don't believe that this should be a thing that's where the change really happens you threw something in there a moment ago and and kind of said it and and walked away from it there was a moment that you felt like you shouldn't live anymore, that that mm-hmm. it, you would be better off not here. We obviously know that's not true, but a lot of people do feel like that's their only option. Uh, mm-hmm. As a police officer, I, I worked with a woman once who had shot herself. Um, she survived, um, but she felt like that was the only choice that she had. And she did yeah. end up getting away. So that was a really cool moment to witness. But what in you reminded you that you are worth it and you do need to be here and your life has value? First and foremost, you know, my daughter was the biggest driving force to that because I could not imagine her growing up without her mom, but let alone being left with the other parent who, you know, with narcissistic, you know, personality, um, I knew that she wouldn't be cared for in the way that she needs to be cared for. Right. And I 
didn't want the cycle of abuse to continue. That's been a huge driving force to me is to make sure that the abuse stops here. It doesn't continue with her. Um, you know, I think when I was going through everything and even, you know, if even today I can be told that I'm a bad mom, that I'm a bad person, you know, all the disgusting things that I have been called and probably still continue and, and called those things. Um, you know, I believed that for such a long time. Every little thing that I did wrong, I believed that it was all my fault. I was in constant fight or flight mode. It, as simple as listening to those affirmations, it fell upon me one day on Instagram. And I started listening to Louise Hayes' affirmations. And hearing that, I broke down into tears, you know, thinking, okay, if this is a woman who, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, you know her affirmations, but you know she had such a tragic childhood and growing up and didn't actually make something of herself until she was, I believe in her forties, right? So if she could do this, well, why can't I? You know, it's almost like the competitive side of me, like, well, wait, you did it, so why can't I? And it was starting so small to say, okay, just, you know, listening to those affirmations for five minutes a day, and taking it in and building that strength within myself, taking every piece of getting out one step at a time, not thinking of the end. It was thinking of, well, how can I save, you know, an extra couple of dollars here? Or how can I, you know, get out safely? And it was sucking up my pride and, you know, letting go of the ego to say that I needed help. Um, and, and there are still moments today where, you know, I still can get into a depressed state, but I don't feel the same, you know, I need to end my life because this isn't worth it because I'm on the other side. It's learning to have those tools that can really help you to say, okay, I, if I'm, I'm worth it, you know, I'm, I'm beautiful. I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm resilient. And, you know, again, my daughter being the driving force, you know, being a good role model, and now being out there in the public, it's so important to be that role model and to say, okay, you can do this, you know, absolutely. I absolutely love that as well. And I think everybody could use a good affirmation every now and then, whatever mm -hmm. your situation is. Yeah. Did you ever go to a therapist? Because that's a big hot topic that we have on here a lot. Um, we have some yeah. people that love therapy and others that will not go um, in any way, shape or form. So was that a part of your healing journey? So for me, it was, it has not been a part of my healing journey. I'm not against it. I, I do believe in therapy. I also believe that we need to find the right therapist, right? So for, you know, being a, a domestic violence survivor, if you have a therapist that doesn't understand your background, it can be quite challenging, um, you know, in understanding the cycle of abuse, right? So I think I haven't personally done therapy. I, I tried once and that the therapist, you know, told me how much therapy I would need and how many years. And it just was, it's like, okay, well, you know, no one wants to be told that you need, you know, 10 years of therapy and, and all the things attached to it. So I, I believe that, you know, my therapy is helping others and being able to talk about it, right? At first, when you start talking about what you've been through, it's really uncomfortable you know, and, and I had a lot of shame around it. Today, I have no shame in saying who I am 
and standing, standing up and saying, here's where I am today. And here's how I got here. Um, but my therapy has really been, again, you know, being able to express my story and talk about it and also, you know, have those moments of quiet time in, you know, meditative state in just being able to sit in stillness and in silence is beyond therapeutic for me, you know, in, uh, it's been so helpful in my life. We are going to turn now and talk about another type of therapy. So yeah. ink therapy uh, is one of my favorites personally. I, I do have on short sleeves today. I normally don't because it's freezing here. Um, so I have a lot of tattoos. I can see that you have at least one tattoo and mm -hmm. I think there's more than that. Oh, yeah. I would love to hear about your most meaningful tattoo. Wow, that's a good one. Um, I have nine. I think I have nine. A lot of them are on my back. So it's so funny. People will come up and say, oh, can I read that? I'm like, sure. Because I, you know, I can't tell you what it says, you know, verbatim. Um, I have a couple that are, are meaningful. You know, of course, we all have silly ones that right. we wish we could go back in time. Um, I have my my very first one on my wrist and it says strong enough to break. And it's, it's from my favorite band. And um, it's so meaningful because it was at the beginning of my um, domestic violence journey, right? I didn't even know I was in this situation yet and I had gotten it, but um, that's, you know, just so meaningful to me. But I also have one on my, my inner arm here and it's really hard to read, but it's from my biological dad. It's something that he had written to me. He passed away a couple of years ago and um, he had written it to me in a book and it's in his writing and it says, never lose sight of the true values that drive success and hold on to your dreams. And it's just so fitting for all that has happened and that I've been through. And this is the newest one. I'm dying to get another one. Um, but that's my favorite. And I, I put it on my inner arm to be, you know, close to my heart. So it, at any time that, you know, I feel a little off, I can look down and, you know, he's always there and with me. You're dying to get another one. So what's next? So I, I feel off balance, even though it's been years, I feel like, you know, you kind of have to match and be right. equal. <laughs> so on one, um, on my upper back, on kind of towards my shoulder, I want to be able to get uh, a lion and, you know, with flowers around it, uh, sunflowers are my favorite flower. So I have at least one sunflower in there and a, a little bumblebee. Because being that I've, you know, my last name, um, we we have a joke, my husband and I, about bees. So want to be able to get a bee and, and he'll have a bee as well. But I got to find the right person. You know, it, it's going to be a little bit bigger than I'm, I'm used to. So finding the right person to do it is, is key. I have recommendations. So if you need them, <laughs> uh, you can. For sure. I I can give you a, a travel, you know, where you can take a vacation and get a tattoo or you want to stay in Florida. We can make that work as well. Yeah. Gotcha. Sam, where can people find you? So if they want to hear more of your story, if they want to get involved in some of your courses or, or what you're yeah. sharing with the world, or if they just want to come hang out in Florida and soak up the sun, where can they find you? Yeah. So we, we are based in Naples, Florida. Um, all of my handles are my company names. So it's survival takes strength. You can find me on Instagram, um, where, you know, I post daily and we'll start to post a lot of the different things that I'm selling. 
Um, but also my website, which is survivaltakestrength.com. So you can find me there. My course is coming out soon. It'll be ready in about a week. Um, and then, you know, again, I have all the things that can help at such a minimal price, like the gratitude journals and the affirmations. It's easy and it's affordable, you know, for people like you and I, right? Maybe when we were in the thick of it and struggling. So um, we'd love to connect. And again, if you're in Naples, you know, we'd love to just say hi. Excellent. Sam, I so appreciate you being here today and sharing your story. I know that you're going to connect with so many people and I so appreciate all that you're doing to bring awareness to the masses. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been such an honor and a pleasure and I'm, I'm so glad we got to chat. Same. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media so you'll never miss what's going on. Remember, until next week, you are strong enough and you are worth it. Thank you for listening to the Strong Enough Podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform by searching Strong Enough. And on YouTube, we're on the Spear Talk channel. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Strong Enough Pod. If you have suggestions for an upcoming episode or a future guest, please reach out at strongenoughpod at gmail.com. Remember, you are worth it.